Welcome to the Life of Christ, and uh, we're in the second year of this. This is lesson number 10, and we are going to pick up in chapter 6, in Luke chapter 2, and verse 48. We'll start there. It says here, Luke 2.48, So when they saw him, they were amazed. Now remember, this is Mary and Joseph. Okay, They're looking for Jesus, they find him in the temple, he's surrounded by teachers, sort of a bit in reverse, instead of students surrounding the teachers, the teachers are surrounding the student. And it says, when, so when they saw him they were amazed, literally astonished, shocked to see him participating so intelligently in a discussion with those who were so many years older than he. But sadly, this was short-lived. <laughs> As, as parents normally do. First they go, wow. Then they go, hang on a second. Okay, so this is the hang on a second part. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? So, first there is an admiration, then the irritation. Okay. And the tone is one of exasperation and rebuke. Now, here's going to be a problem. Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? In other words, where else would I be? Did you not know that, and meaning that he was genuinely amazed and truly believed that they would know, I must be about my father's business. Alright, Chuck Swindle writes, I find the irony of this episode absolutely priceless. Joseph and Mary, first-hand witnesses to angelic announcements, shepherd and magi worship, and prophetic oracles, didn't have the eyes to see Jesus' divine purpose emerging. Jesus, however, knew what was happening to himself. He understood his purpose, his call, his divinely appointed mission. They should have known following you know, the, the, the wise men, that was the Magi, that came and worshipped, and the shepherds that came and told them the story, all the things that had happened, to say, me and your father have been looking for you, it's just like, don't you know that I am about my other father's business, the real one? And, that was, and this is going to be now a point of contention from now on. Okay, about you belong to this family, you listen to what your father and I say, to Jesus going, yes, but I belong to someone else. I am on loan to you. I don't really belong to you. Do you hear me? It's the reason why at the cross Jesus says to John, Behold your mother and to Mary, behold your son. God gave a son back because this one didn't belong to her. Do you understand? This one belonged to the whole world. Amen. Okay. So, of even greater importance is that here in these verses is the key to understanding the future separation that is going to exist between Jesus and his earthly family until his death, burial, and resurrection. First of all, notice the contrast of Mary's your father, referring to Joseph, and Jesus's my father, referring to God. It tells the whole story. Amen? In fact, we can now understand why it says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then, now why, they were out, well, why were they outside? 
Somebody has suggested maybe the place is full. The way this reads, it's almost like they were embarrassed to come in. Because he didn't say, oh, call them in. There's a place for them here. Watch how this conversation goes. It says here, Then one said, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciple and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's as opposed to on earth, is my brother and sister and mother. So, we are going to see this starting to happen. There's going to be like a separation start to come. Okay? We're going to start to see, in fact, there were times when it actually says that his, his brethren thought that he was a lunatic. Alright? So, if that's the case, then they're not going to come in the church. They're going to be standing outside going, can you go and bring him out here please? You don't see them involved in his ministry at all until after he dies and resurrects. And then suddenly two of his brothers get turned on. And one becomes pastor of the biggest church in Jerusalem. That's James. And we're going to get two books out of them. One the book of James and one, the other one the epistle of Jude. It's not really a book. you know. Okay. So again here he, he says, But he answered and said to them, to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand again and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Alright, and he says, and watch, the, watch how he references this. He says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, these are. Which then tells you, those aren't. Obviously, Mary and his brothers and sisters were no longer in God's will, so to speak. Again, note the reference to my Father. Okay, here. It seems that from a very early age, Jesus was deeply conscious of the relationship between himself and his heavenly Father. And would go as far as to say in John 10 and verse 30, I and my Father are one. Okay, that's a powerful statement. Amen. I mean, dear Lord, that was blasphemy. He equated himself with God right then. This is what the Jews want to throw him off the cliff. Remember? Before Abraham was, I am. You know? <laughs> okay. But not only was Jesus conscious of his relationship with God the Father, but also his responsibilities toward him as well. And why even at age 12 he says in Luke 2.49, I must be about my father's business. Notice that. He didn't say I'd like to be. I should be. He said I have to be. This is what I was sent to do. Amen. In his commentary, Leon Morris points out, that this is the first recorded statement of the Messiah's recognition of his unique relationship to God. Again, note the words, first recorded statement. Doesn't mean that he didn't know before that, but this is the first time we actually hear out of his own mouth, his recognition and his relationship to God. And of the necessity, that's must, of his being in his father's house. Interesting, isn't it? His father's house was in the carpenter's house. His father's house was the temple of God. Which is why as soon as he starts his ministry, he's going to come and clean out his father's house. Not going to make friends and influence people when he does that. Anyway, well maybe a few people, but added to this, William Hendrickson says that the fact that his entire life was controlled by the divine must, like the way he said that, 
which was in complete harmony with his own desire, dawned on the boy Jesus very early in life. Uh, just in Luke's Gospel, we are told that, for example, Jesus must preach, that's in Luke 4.43, must suffer, Luke 9.22, must rise again, thank God for that, Luke 24.7, okay, there's no point in suffering if there's no rising again. Okay, some people think the suffering is where it ends, no, you need to rise again. Okay, wherever you're going, whatever you're going through, there needs to be resurrection somewhere. Because we won, by the way. Amen. And must fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies. We too need to live that must life, not the optional life. Amen. Alright, continuing in verse 50. It says, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Because they didn't understand that Jesus had a relationship to God shared by no other. Amen. That was what something Leon Morris said. I thought that was very good. It's very hard to understand that kind of commitment when you don't have that kind of relationship. William Hendrickson writes, <clears throat> One aspect of Jesus' suffering was exactly this, that men, including even his own relatives and his own disciples, failed to understand him. Now, let's pause here for a little bit. I want you to get this. One aspect of Jesus' suffering was exactly this, that men, including even his own relatives and his own disciples, failed to understand him. All right? They didn't understand what he was on about half the time. Because he was on a mission. See, his whole focus was God. He knew he was sent by God. He said he came from God. He's going back to God. Remember? You're going to see some of the statements he makes are always going to be. He said the only person that can describe God is the one that's been with God. That's right. All right? So you, he's basically, so much of the time he says, you people have ideas about God that are so wrong it's laughable. Alright? I'm telling you, I've seen God. I can tell you what He's like. In fact, Philip then says, Show us the Father. He said, You're looking at Him. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He, he was over and over again having this problem. They're constantly not getting what He's on about. He starts to teach them something. He says, Anybody that says to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. And they're looking at Him and going, We don't get what you're on about. You know, we just go to synagogue school and they just ramble on about something somebody said 600 years ago or whatever, I don't know. You know, and we come out there all going, my God, that was just boring as whatever. And then you come and you start talking about moving mountains and lilies of the field and birds in the air and we're freaking out over here. You know, and then, and then we're in a storm, we're about to drown. And you stop the wind, and while we're just blown out of our brain, you're looking at us with this, what is wrong with you people? And we're looking back at you with, what are you on about? Are you all with me? There's going to be this all the way through the ministry. And I want you to see that here. I want you to see that even at an early age, he was having to deal with this with his own family. You know, sometimes we think, oh God, you can't understand all the stuff I'm going through. <laughs> Excuse me. He grew up in a household that they didn't know what to make of him. It was good and all when angels turned up and people turned up with, you know, jewelry boxes and stuff. It was like, whoa, this kid's good. And then suddenly nothing happens except you're running for your life for a while. And people are dying because of you. And suddenly it just all turns and goes in another direction. And then you think, what have we got ourselves into? What is this? And then nothing after that. No sudden palace, no more angels descending from heaven. What happened? Did we get the wrong kid? Seriously, I'll be asking the question. I mean, years pass. 
There's all this angelic activity, nothing, now we're at age 12, and something interesting is starting to happen. They step in, they start to recognize something, then they're irritated by what the kid has done. They stop seeing God and start seeing their son again. They think their son, hello, okay? They forget it's God's son. And so they start dealing with him in a way, and he starts to look at them and say, you're missing something again. Okay, I think that would have started to cause a bit of a wedge, because I feel like he's, he's sort of siblings, and he's his mom and his dad, I don't know what would have happened to Joseph by then, maybe he passed away, whatever. Okay, it would have started to get to the place where, what happens, and, and you know, I can relate to this a little bit, when the people that are over you are telling you to do one thing, and your leading from God is to do something else. It gets very difficult. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because, you know, our parents, and me as a parent can, can comment on this, you know, we want the best for our kids. We want them to do what we think they should be doing and what their capabilities, and, you know, what, what we think in our mind. But sometimes God's plan and your plan are so different. You say, but yeah, but I'm their father, I'm their mother. Yeah, but he is their father before you are. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And then if you don't get into sync with that, a separation will come. One way or the other. Either you get with it or your kid will separate themselves from you. Because they will follow what their father is telling them to do. They will follow God. Hopefully. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. All right. I don't want that to happen. I'm with God's program. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Uh, I just say, God, am I doing the right thing yet? (laughs) Have I missed you anywhere? And uh, because, you know, I mean, I love my kids and I just want to be there to support them throughout their life, whatever their calling is. Do you understand? Amen? I feel like that is my job. It doesn't end when they grow up and they can, you know, cook for themselves and do all that stuff. It's not finished yet. You know, I think, and can I just share this with you? Just let me take a minute here. I want you to think about this. The people that God puts in your life is not just for you to look after. They're people that are going to work with you in time to come. If you do the right thing, they can be your closest allies and your greatest help. I'll just say that. Now, you might say, well, is it too late? Because, you know... This is where I am. I didn't know all this stuff. I'm just learning it now. What do I do? If you have faith, if you say to this mountain, this mountain of, God, I wish I didn't do some of the things that I did, this mountain of, I don't think it can ever be that good, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And don't doubt. Believe in your heart. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's our greatest problem. If we can believe that, then we can have relationships restored back to us. You might say, well, will it be as good as? It can be better. Can I say why? Because as much as you might have done wrong, there is God the Father who loves you so much that He can share that love with the person that you need loving you. To where they'll start seeing you through God's eyes and love you in a way they could have never loved you before in the natural that's available as long as we speak to those mountains and get rid of them. Amen? All right, let's move on. Can I just reread this? Because I think it was in the middle. 
Let me reread William Hendricks again. He says, One aspect of Jesus' suffering was exactly this, that men, including even his own relatives and his own disciples, failed to understand him. He goes on to say, When the two facts expressed in verses 49 and 50, that is, first, Jesus' consciousness of being the Son of God in a unique sense, and second, his awareness of the fact that Joseph and Mary did not understand him, are combined the next statement becomes even more striking. With, with, with it going on to say, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Now, you need to understand that he realized that they're not getting this. Listen carefully. You know how sometimes we say, well, I can't submit to that person because you know what? I feel like I'm on a higher place than they are and they don't get it and blah, 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 blah. You know, Jesus could have said that. Jesus could have said, you know what? I'm so far beyond you two, like a lot of teenagers do. Okay, mom and dad, you have no idea. You don't know what you're on about. I know everything because I'm a teenager now. Because I know we know teenagers know everything. <laughs> okay, hello. He could, and this guy would have had the right to say it. The one person, the one teenager in the whole planet would have been him that could have actually said that. But you know what? Watch what it says. And was subject to them. He backed off. He just, he didn't argue. Can you imagine trying to argue with Jesus? Forget about it. He'd walk off. He would leave you scratching your head. You're one of those people that you'd at the end of the day go, what did he just say? I don't know. He was on about lilies or something. (laughs) I mean, he could have so confused them, he would have left them in the dust. Interesting, isn't it? Just because you can, doesn't mean you should. There's a higher law. It's called love. So, it says there again, and was subject to them, meaning that even with all their weaknesses and lack of understanding, he still yielded, continuing obedience to them. In fulfilling the fifth commandment, remember again, Jesus came to fulfill all the law and the prophets? Alright, in the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Okay, but watch this now, it's very interesting. He says, but his mother kept or treasured all these things in her heart. Obviously, she started thinking about some of these things. She started thinking about, what did he mean by, you know that I must be about my father's business. Where else would you find me but in my father's house? Okay? These things will be rolling around in her mind now. Joseph might be upset and irritated, but she's starting to now go back and start thinking about these things. All right. So it is what would allow her, once she realized who Jesus really was, following his resurrection, to not only tell the story to others, but also perhaps to Luke himself. So it it may be that Luke, in writing these things, got this from Mary. That Mary actually said, we were wrong. We got upset with him. We came and we accused him of not caring. And he turned around and said to us, don't you know... Where else would I be except in my father's house, doing my father's business? Are you seeing this? At which point, they would, you know, and Mary would have said, that was a little embarrassing. Luke would have said, is it okay if I record it? Mary would have said, go right ahead. Because he was subject to us, even after we misunderstood him. He came back and he was the perfect kid. Verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor 
with God and men. Now, that's huge. I preached on that verse a long time once. I won't do that to you tonight. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I want you to catch this. Notice he says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. You know, that means that he grew into it more and more and more. It means that we all need to grow into things. It means that we don't come with all the wisdom in the world tucked in under our little belt. We have to grow. We have to seek after it. We have to pray. We have to make the effort. We need to go to Bible college. We need to do the things that God asks us to do. Amen. We need to stretch out with our faith. We need to do the things that we need to do. It won't fall on your head. It takes effort on your part. And as you push forward, God will start honoring that. Amen. And notice that Jesus had to do what he had to do. He did what he was called to do, what God led him to do. And I, I know I just believe with all of my heart that when God said, get up, you know, two in the morning and start praying for six hours, he just did it. I'm sure his brothers would have gone, oh, is he up again? Yeah. You can just imagine that whatever God said, he was up doing it. Amen. Alright, let's see. William MacDonald, we're coming to the, towards the end here. William MacDonald writes, Again, we have the true humanity and normal growth of our Lord depicted. His mental growth, He increased in wisdom. His physical growth, he, Jesus increased in stature. His spiritual growth, Jesus increased in favor with God. His social growth, Jesus increased in favor with men. Okay, so he increased in every area of his life. Notice that he increased in favor with both God and man. Sometimes, you know what we get, and please hear what I'm about to say. Sometimes, and this had been preached in the Word of Faith movement for quite a while, that as you get close to God, you know, people will think you're weird and all of that stuff. But you know what? You just have to turn your back and you just be as weird as you want because, you know, you're following after God. No, you're just being weird. That's right. Following God doesn't make you weird. They may not understand how you can stand and believe for something, but that doesn't mean you have to become obnoxious about it. Watch your attitudes and watch how you say things to people. Jesus, unless he went head to head with someone, listen carefully, he would generally back off. If something's going on, he'd be like, okay, whatever. You want healing? You can't believe for an absolute miracle? What do you need me to do? Somebody would say, speak the word only? I'll speak the word. Somebody say, come to my house? Go to your house. Somebody says, we're lowering, lowering somebody from the ceiling and <laughs> he may not land real well. Could you please do something on the way down? He'll do it. He won't go. What is wrong with you people? Whatever the case was, he just looked at the situation and met the need. It was never an issue to him. Amen? Which tells us something. He grew... In favor with people. They said, wow, you know the other rabbis, they got all upset about somebody disturbing their sermon. This guy sees things for what they really are. He'll stop in the middle of his sermon and say, nice, you're healed, go home. Because this is going to get ugly now. <laughs> okay? You know what I'm trying to say? He's always looking out for people. And I think that this tells us something. That when he grew, and again it says, he, it says he increased in wisdom and in such, so he increased in those areas of his life. But he says also, in favor with God and men. Which tells you something, you can increase in favor with God and men. 
Somebody say amen. Amen. Alright. If we're having trouble with the and men part, we need to grow up a little bit more. That's all. Amen. Alright. So he was perfect, excuse me, he was absolutely perfect in every aspect of his growth. Here Luke's narrative skips silently over 18 years, which the Lord Jesus spent in Nazareth as the son of a carpenter. These years teach us the importance of preparation and training, the need for patience, and the value of common work. They warn against the temptation to jump from spiritual birth to public ministry. Those who do not have a normal spiritual childhood and adolescence court disaster in their later life and testimony. Do you understand? Okay. We have to be very careful. And, you know, I have been guilty of this. Because what happens so much of the time is when people get saved, they're so on fire. You know, they want to be there all the time and they promise you everything. And you take those people at their word. And you think, well, look at this person, just got saved, willing to do so much more than all these other people that have been coming for years and years and years, and all they do is sit and warm the chairs, you know. Every, do you know what I'm trying to say? And you think, well, finally there's somebody. Be careful. They need to grow up. They need some time. They need to deal with some things before you give them responsibility. Because that enthusiasm is not going to carry them through things that require wisdom. You cannot substitute enthusiasm for wisdom. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. Alright. And as for the next 18 years, along with Luke's Gospel, all the other Gospels remain silent on the topic, because they were never intended to be taken as biographies. Therefore, regardless of some of the fantastic stories that have been made up about him during this time, we will stick to the Gospel accounts, and them alone. As I've said to you before, there are all kinds of funny stories out there. You can go online and you can find all these stories. I have. I've been there. I've read through them and I decided not to put any of them in. Because you know what? If the gospel doesn't tell us something, we need to leave it alone. Because sometimes in adding things, we take away from something. Alright? Because for the people that say, oh, you know, he was healing people, and, you know, found a dead bird, and he put it in his hand, and, you know, it came back alive and flew away, and all of those stuff. As amazing as it sounds, as much as you want to think, oh, yeah, that'd be a good story to tell, you know, because that was, that's our Messiah and everything else. Then, you know what you miss out on? You miss out on exactly what we have discussed here. You miss out on the place where there are times when you need to put your head down, and you need to just work. The reward isn't going to be for another 18 years. Do you hear what I'm saying? And if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to put in the hard yards, all right, and not see a lot in that time, but by faith you just know that whatever you're doing, whatever journey you're on, there is a great end to it. That God has an amazing future for you, but it needs to be in His time, not yours. You miss those lessons. Do you hear what I'm saying? And that's the reason why I didn't put any of those things in. Because for 18 years, Jesus just did His work. He kept His head down. He came, He built, He did all this carpentry stuff. He's going to use some of those things when He's telling stories. He's going to talk about a man that comes in one day and says to him, You, you Joseph's son, you carpenter? Yep, I am. I need you to come and build me some barns. Oh, is that right? Yep, I've got all of this stuff, and I need bigger bonds. 
And Jesus is looking at him going, why don't you share some of that stuff? No, 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 it's from me. I worked hard, those people, they're lazy. This is my hard work. So when can you get started on those bonds? Yeah, we can start tomorrow. And then the next day, his sons come and say, Oh, forget about the bonds. Oh, why is that? Oh, daddy died last night. So I'm just saying. Just to give you an idea of things that he is going to be able to relate in time to come. And say, you know, you can do all of this stuff. You can make all this preparation. But you know what? All of that stuff won't mean anything if you don't wake up the next morning. (laughs) You know? Okay? And that stuff you can't take with you. Your generosity will be waiting for you in heaven. But your selfishness remains down here. So, also, since Joseph did not appear in any of the later accounts of the Gospels, for example, no mention is made of him at the wedding at Cana, okay, it is widely believed that he was quite a bit older than Mary, and that he passed away during this period of time as well. And that concludes the first 29 to 30 years of Jesus' extraordinary life. Amen. When we come back next term, we are going to start with John the Baptist. And what a forerunner he was. All right. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed as we conclude this session today.